Good morning. It's great to see you. Uh, if you don't know me, my name's Ben. I'm one of the elders of the church, and I also lead this site. So this church has two sites, one in Bradley Stoke up in North Bristol, and the other one here in Cottam, and I lead the team that uh, serves this site. And this is actually my last time preaching before I go on sabbatical. Uh, that wasn't my reaction. My reaction was, yay. Anyway, um, the elders and trustees. There we go. Is that me? Am I not allowed to move? Okay. Uh, the elders and trustees, as I was saying, uh, have been very kind and agreed to kind of uh, give me time out from the normal responsibilities of leading and pastoring in the church to be able to rest and get refreshed and recharge for the next phase of ministry in the life of this church. And so at the start of June, I'm visiting some churches in the United States, uh, which is going to be fantastic, and spending time with some leaders there. And then uh, I'm going to have some time back at home to do some study. Uh, often I find that is the thing um, in the busyness of church life um, that gets squeezed. So I'm very excited about that to uh, have the opportunity to go deeper into God's Word. And that's actually what uh, is the focus of our time today. We've been preaching through the last chapter of the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesian church, looking at the armor of God and how we can be equipped to live the Christian life. So do you remember the different pieces of kit? We've talked about the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. No one's, no one's saying it. You, you know this, don't you? Uh, the shoes of the gospel. What else? Helmet of salvation, shield of faith. Um, and now we arrive at the final piece of kit. Now I should say, I don't think we have thanked Max Randall for this fantastic design that we've been using. So should we thank you, Max? It's good to have talented people in the church. Um, and so, uh, Paul says this in Ephesians six seventeen: Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. John, could I? I'm going to go to another microphone. There we go. I don't like the buzzing. So, what is this sword? The sword isn't the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit means the sword which the Spirit has given to us. And that is, I'm going to pick up my Bible, that is the Word of God. The whole of the Bible is God's Word given by the Spirit. So human authors, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote the 66 books in the Bible. And in one of those books, Paul writes to Timothy and says this, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, we like that bit, rebuking, we're not so keen on that one, correcting, also not so keen on that one, 
and training. Oh, we're back. It's comfortable now. Training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible is the revelation of God to us. And the whole of Scripture is truth that God uses to teach and to train us, even to rebuke and correct us so that we can be equipped as followers of Jesus. But why is the truth depicted as a sword? Paul's been writing about the battle we're in as believers trying to live for God and that we need to be fully equipped to stand against the devil's schemes. Now, the sword is the only weapon that is mentioned by Paul. The truth is, you can be well prepared for the battle in all your armor, but then have nothing to fight with. I don't know whether you ever have this experience. You're trying to leave the house, you get absolutely everything ready, and then you're halfway on your journey and you realize you've forgotten the most important thing. Do you ever have that experience? Maybe you're going to do a presentation at work and you get, you get your hair done, you've got in the right suit, everything's right, but you forget your laptop or the memory stick or, or whatever it is. If you forget your sword, then it's only going to be a matter of time before you're defeated. You can be in your full armor, but if you haven't got your sword, it's not going to go well. Now, why is this so important? If God himself really has given us this book to reveal who he is and what he's done, then it is of vital significance for every person in the world, no matter what they believe. If the God who created all life has spoken to the world, then we need to know what it says. Every person who's ever been let down or disappointed or mistreated needs to know the truth about a God who loves them and will never leave or forsake them. I think that's what Bishop Curry was trying to do yesterday at the royal wedding, was tell people about a God of love. Everyone who is suffering needs to know the truth that there is one who has suffered in our place and who can sympathize and comfort us in our sufferings. A hurting world needs to know the truth that there is hope and that this truth can change their lives. So to help us get hold of this, I want to look further at what Paul was writing to Timothy. Timothy was a leader he discipled and trained. And in Bibles, this is often called Paul's final charge to Timothy. And these are most likely Paul's final words to his dear friend and student. So let's look at what he writes. I'm going to start at 2 Timothy 3 verse 10. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. He's had a lot going on. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? They're just places, Birmingham, Bristol, London. The persecutions I endured, the, the battles that I faced. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, 
everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Thanks for that, Paul. While evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And this verse again, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And then he goes on in chapter 4. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Okay, Paul? We're listening. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering. His life is going to be sacrificed. And the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. I believe that God wants to speak to us in three key areas today. Sharpen your sword, fight the good fight, and defend the defenseless. Firstly, what do I mean by sharpen your sword? Before you go into battle, you have to be prepared. Paul writes to Timothy, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of. We need to build our lives on what the Bible says. In the film, I I can't talk about swords and not quote Lord of the Rings. In the film, The Lord of the Rings, you never see Aragorn without his sword. Sorry, that's a quite dark picture, but it's it's a picture of Aragorn holding his sword. He wears it at his side at all times. He sleeps with it. It's his best friend. He oils it and keeps the blade sharp. I guess it's like John Cooper with his um, bicycle. It's a daily ritual. There's a reverence and respect for his sword because he knows not only is this a precious sword, but it can make the difference between life and death. I think that's how we should treat God's word. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. 
That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. If you're a Christian, but you neglect your Bible, if you don't read it, if you don't get to know it, if you don't have a reverence and a respect for it, if you don't make a daily habit of digging into it, if you don't hone your knowledge of it, then when the next battle comes, you won't be ready for the fight. Your equipment will be deficient. It will be like facing down your enemies with a foam sword. Can I have some enemies, please? Just, just quickly come up. Come up. Yeah, wait, wait, for your, wait for your friends. Yeah, Tim, you can be an enemy. Imagine, look, look at these two gruesome fellas. Turn, 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 look, look at them. I mean, it just it strikes fear into your hearts, doesn't it? But imagine, imagine I'm like, come on, man, I'm ready for you. You know, no, that wasn't the point I was trying to make, Tim. Thank you, thank you. Do you get the idea? If we are not, if we're not properly equipped, then we're going to struggle in the battle. Apart from if you're fighting Tim. We need to know God's truth. We need it to be in us so that we can call it to mind in our worst moments. And we need to know how to handle it. I became a Christian at 17, but before that, I'd never read the Bible. I knew stories from the Bible, like Daniel in the lion's den, uh, but one story probably wasn't going to equip me uh, for life. And then at school, um, in RE, for those of you who are young, that's religious education. I think they changed it to RS at some point. I don't know why. Um, Uh, We read Mark's gospel. So the first time I heard the gospel was at school, not a Christian school. I think that's that's quite cool. Um, uh, And then I was bought my first Bible when I was 17, and I started um, to read it. There have been specific times where I've felt like I've been equipped and strengthened in God's word through my life. So as a fairly young Christian, I was discipled by a friend and we read uh, Romans together. And what we do is we'd read a chapter each week and then get together and discuss it. And he taught me to do things like writing verses in my own words, just to help me kind of get hold of it. And what is this, what is this really saying? And what does this mean? And how can I apply it to my life? Uh, I also learned to memorize key verses. And I look back at that and see that as absolutely formative in my Christian life. And then later, when I was about 21, I decided to read through the whole of the Bible um, fairly quickly. I was a student, so I had a little bit more time on my hands. I know you don't at the moment because it's exam time, but bear with me. Um, And across the summer... Um, over a couple of months, I read all the way through from Genesis 
to Revelation. And it gave me like a, a mental map of the whole biblical narrative. And then in subsequent years, I've learned to feed myself more and more on God's Word. I've done Nicky Gumbel's Bible in a year, and I've done other reading plans that lead you through the Bible. I've studied particular books of the Bible, and I've gradually got God's Word into me, and I find it helps me every day. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, it is the Spirit alone who enables us to understand and to receive this Word. In the same way, it is the Holy Spirit alone who enables us to interpret this Word. It is the Holy Spirit alone that enables us to use this Word properly. It's one thing to know the contents of this book. It is a very different thing to know how to use it properly. The moment you separate the Spirit and the Word, you're in trouble. The Spirit and the Word must be kept together always. What is needed is the Spirit opening the Word and opening my mind and opening my heart. I've known many occasions when I'm reading the Bible and the Holy Spirit brings certain words to life and they kind of grab me and change me. And they may be verses that I've read hundreds of times before, but there's something about the Spirit bringing revelation to us. And when the enemy accuses us, then we can call to mind verses like Romans 8.1. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We need to be prepared for the battle. Lloyd-Jones goes on, Mere intellectual, academic knowledge of the Scriptures does not enable one to fight the battle against the devil and the principalities and the powers. You see, there is a danger for us. You can become so obsessed with the sword that you've forgotten what it's for. You can have a beautiful sharp blade. Alex Morgan has lent me some swords. If you're scared of swords, don't worry, I'm not going to do anything with it. This could be tricky now because I'm, I'm on a handheld mic, um, but bear with me. Oh, there you go. So you can have this beautiful, I don't worry, Stuart, I'm not going to. You can have this beautiful polished sword. You can have it sharpened and honed, and you can give it care and attention, and then it goes back. Stuart's very glad about this. Goes back in. Thanks, Stuart. And maybe you've got a glass case or something, and you put it back in its case, and that is the danger for us with God's Word, that we just, we, we read it, and then we close it, and we put it back on its shelf, and it spends most of its time gathering dust on a shelf. Some of you have forgotten that swords are worth uh, are for fighting with, that God's word is to be used and lived out. Paul reflects on his Christian life when writing to Timothy and says, I have fought the good fight. What did he mean? I think it's what he wrote in verse 2 that he had 
faithfully preached the word. And we must fight the good fight too. I think that has two aspects to it. There are the internal battles we face where we need to preach the word to ourselves. And there's the broader battlefield in the world where we must speak truth to others. So what are some of the battles that you face? Paul writes about persecutions that he endured. Probably none of us have faced anything like what Paul faced, shipwrecks and beatings and all kinds of things. But what would it be for you? Would it be temptation to go the wrong way? Would it be fear and anxiety? In Matthew chapter 4, we read about Jesus being led into the desert by the Holy Spirit and tempted by the devil. How does Jesus resist? Jesus resists with the truth. So three times the devil throws temptation at him and he quotes scripture. He quotes from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. And then we're told, then the devil left him. Sometimes you need to preach God's word to yourself, speaking truth to yourself in the face of challenge or temptation. Jesus knew his Bible. His parents had even lost him. And for a few days, they couldn't find him. And eventually, when they found him, he was in the temple talking to the teachers of the law. He had spent years reading scripture, memorizing it, praying it, and then teaching it. He knew it. He was familiar with it. And he knew how to handle it. And he knew that the Bible is far more powerful than anything the devil would try to trick us with. When we get hold of it, when we really get hold of it, final prop, grab it by the right end, Ben. When we really get hold of it, it's like a real sword, not foam. I, I'm, I'm, I, I won't do too many maneuvers just, just in case I lop my own ear off or something. Um, it's not foam. It's not ceremonial. It has power to defeat our enemies. And the comforting thing is, it's not about our strength. I, I know I look pretty strong, but actually I'm quite puny. This, you know, this little frame of mine, you know, I couldn't do, I couldn't do much damage. But actually it's not about that. It's that this is an incredibly powerful sword. Now, I, I, we're talking in metaphors, yeah? So I'm not talking about a sword. I'm really talking about God's word. God's word is powerful. You don't have to be a biblical scholar like Andrew Wilson or D.A. Carson to use it. God's word is deadly powerful, even in the hands of someone like you or me. So Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. I'm going to put this down before I do damage to myself or someone else. I think I, and I think we, can vastly underestimate 
the power of God's word in our lives, even in the way that we pray. So I think sometimes we can pray, oh, Lord, please, 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 won't you do something? And we can pray almost like we're fishing for tiddlers, yeah, when, when in fact this is what's going on. We're fishing for tiddlers, and actually there is this enormous leviathan or whale beneath us. That is what God's word is like. It's not like God throwing us a couple of fish. It's like this enormous, powerful thing that's actually, well, it's, it's powerful, and we struggle to comprehend how powerful God's word is. It has power to change hearts, power to heal the sick, power to set people free. So we need to fight the good fight and preach to ourselves, but I think there's a second part to that fight. Not just fighting with the truth, you know, taking up our sword, but fighting for the truth. Lloyd-Jones said, um, and this was probably in the 50s or 60s, um, we are facing today an attempt to discredit the whole of Revelation and the very essence of our gospel. There is an attack on truth itself. When Jesus was on trial, and this always gets me every time I read it, Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? And that same question is still being asked today. You can't believe the Bible, can you? There's no absolute truth. Truth is relative. Truth is what you say it is. There's no higher power. There's no ultimate authority this is my truth, tell me yours. Well, no, we do believe there is absolute truth. There is a higher authority, and he's revealed himself in this word. Paul predicted this battle for truth when he wrote, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Just Just preach niceties to me. Make it all sound nice and candy floss. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Sometimes our faith isn't easy, is it? And we can sometimes feel like, oh, I'm trying to defend the indefensible here. People can ask things like, well, if you believe in a God of love, then why is there so much suffering in the world? We're going to spend some time later in the year addressing big questions like that. So I hope it's going to speak to the city that we live in, but also equip us in answering some of those questions. But we don't need to believe the lie that the truth is our enemy or that somehow we need to avoid the truth in order to be a Christian. Faith doesn't deny the truth. Faith is built on the truth. And our faith may be unpopular, but it isn't indefensible. All of Scripture points to a person. It points to Jesus. Jesus said of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We need to keep sharing that truth. Paul said in verse 2, preach the word in season and out of season. Why does he use that phrase? In season and out of season, he means all the time. All the time. And we can share the truth 
without doing what I'm doing now. So you may never preach on a Sunday. That's okay, because this is very limited. I'm only reaching you guys at the moment. But actually, you can preach to the world by how you live, by the way you speak, and the truths that you hold to. Do you remember Lex, who was with us last autumn? He's coming back this autumn. And uh, based on an idea that he gave us, um, we've produced some cards that you can use to do this very thing. So you might have a good interaction with uh, the grumpy man in the post office or with an Uber driver or uh, someone in a restaurant. Um, And there are six cards, and you could just lay them out and say to the person... If you could get help in one area, what would you choose? I'd choose rest, um, uh, help, hope. But, and you just say, what would you choose? And then you say, here you go, and you, and you give them that card. And on the back is a Bible verse. It's as simple as that. And that may lead to a conversation. It may even lead to, lead to you being able to pray for that person. But often it will just be you leave that card with them and it's something for them to think about. This is a great example of the power of truth. It's not about how much you know or your powers of persuasion. It's just putting truth into people's hands. And Lex said that when he first did this in his church, um, he gave these cards away free. And then he'd start going to uh, people in the church, to their houses, and he'd find drawers and drawers of these cards because uh, they never got used. And so he started selling them. And he said, if you're going to do this, you have to sell them because people need to uh, feel like they've got a value so that you take them and you actually use them. So we've got them here. They're a pound for a pack of six. Not because we're trying to make money, but just we're doing what Lex told us to do and advised us to do. So I'm just being obedient. If you can't afford them, tell the person at the desk and you can have them for free. So it, it's not about the money. It's just about how do we use these? And, and then as God leads you, you know, so you don't just chuck them at anyone you see. Here, have a card. Here, have a card. It's as you interact with people, then as God leads you, then you can give them away. So... We need to round up. So we must sharpen our sword. We must fight the good fight. But this sword of truth, God's word, can also be used to defend others. The, the IVP New Testament commentary says, In Ephesians, the point is not merely protection of God's people during attack, but the achievement of truth, righteousness, and justice, as well as of the peace brought by the gospel. We should not be so preoccupied with our personal spiritual struggles, obsessed with the possibility of satanic attack, that we neglect larger fields of conflict involving God's righteousness in this world. As we've talked about earlier in this series, Paul in Ephesians is drawing a lot on Isaiah and the concern for justice in the world. In Isaiah 11, it says, But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. And in chapter 59 of Isaiah, against the backdrop of injustice, we've seen that God himself says he will go into battle wearing righteousness as his breastplate and salvation 
as his helmet. We're also called to go into battle for the sake of others, to use the sword of truth to defend the defenseless and the vulnerable. Just one last time, going back to Lord of the Rings. Uh, there's a character called Faramir. He's the brother of Boromir. He's one of the captains of the guard in Gondor. Um, you don't need to know anything else about him if you, if you don't like Lord of the Rings. Except to say, he's not a man of war. He's really a man of peace, and he's a man of kind of wisdom and learning. And he says this to Frodo. War must be while we defend our lives against a destroyer who would devour all. But I do not love the bright sword for its sharpness, nor the arrow for its swiftness, nor the warrior for his glory. I love only that which they defend. So we fight not for the sake of fighting, not for the sake of an argument, but for the sake of people that God loves. So where do we need to stand for justice? What can we do on behalf of orphans or widows or refugees or the disadvantaged or the marginalized? Speaking up for those who don't have a voice. It may be defending the person in your workplace that always gets picked on. It may be to speak up for others where they're treated unfairly. I'm not saying that it is easy to do, but I think it is part of what God calls us to do. We are to be part of bringing the righteousness and justice of God's kingdom where he has placed us. You know that moment in a film where maybe someone's about to get struck down and then at the last millisecond, a sword gets put in the way and stops the blow. That's what Jesus has done for us because he loves us. We were defenseless and the world is defenseless before a holy God. But Jesus took the blows for us. He endured the cross so that we wouldn't get struck down. And we can now share what we've received with others. We can introduce them to the word of God who is faithful and true. He's the hope for the whole world. We can point people to Jesus and speak up for truth and justice for others. God has used people in the past in remarkable ways. Think about George Muller caring for orphans in Bristol, or William Wilberforce and Hannah Moore um, speaking out against the evil of the slave trade. Why not us? Think of the difference that we can make in our city and in the world if we take God at his worth. If we sharpen our sword, fight the good fight, and defend the defenseless. You don't need lots of knowledge or to be able to explain every doctrine or theological position. You just need to know the word. You just need to know Jesus. 
and God wants to use us to tell the world about this word. Can we stand together? And if the band could come back. Now, we have very deliberately made time this morning for us to respond. So we have a whole 10 minutes, would you believe, before we have to go and collect children. And so we will sing in a moment, but I want to give an opportunity for people to respond. And I'm going to ask you, if you want to respond, to come forward and there'll be people who will come and pray for you. There's two responses uh, that I want to highlight. If you feel ill-equipped, if you feel like you're carrying a foam sword, like you, you don't really know your Bible and you just feel, I'm, I'm not really equipped for living for God. Or if you feel like you're carrying a ceremonial sword, that you've spent lots of time studying God's Word, but very little time living it out. And if you want to make a decision today to get serious with God's Word in your life, then I want to pray for you. So in a moment, you can come, and, it, and it'd be great to pray. Also, if you know God is calling you to stand up for truth and justice, to defend the defenseless, to be a voice for the voiceless, then I want to pray for you. We've had some amazing times recently with Martin Charlesworth with us, and I just believe God is increasing that sense of serving the disadvantaged and the poor. And so if that's you, I'd love to pray for you. If that's you, if you want to respond in either of those ways, then I want you to come now. I don't want you to be shy or embarrassed or what will people think. If that's you, I want you to respond um, and you can come now.